0: Good morning, Family Bible Church. How are you? Good. I'm good. Um, So we had a lot of parties yesterday. started about 1130 in the morning, and it went to about 1130 last night, and I talked for all 12 hours. So 5 o'clock this morning, my voice totally is doing this. So we're going to do our best this morning. I apologize for that. Hope you're not distracted by it, but it is what it is. I've been nursing it ever since, and it will not behave. So it is what it is. All right. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to come together as your people and to sing praises of the glory of your light, of the glory of your revelation in our lives, and that you um, see fit to show yourself to us. And we thank you for that, Father. We pray for a prayer of thanks first that you would avail yourself to us, sinners though we are. And we pray, Father, for those who maybe still feel like they're in the dark, that you would shine your light upon them. That they might know you um, in that season of generosity, like Dale shared with us, the, the gift of your son, Jesus. May we uh, have eyes to see that, Father, ears to hear the gospel, and a heart to believe. As we open your word today, we ask that you would do what only you can do, which is to teach us uh, from your word to... Um, conform us to your word, and to shape us as we live in this life. We thank you for the work that only you can do. We pray you would do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're in week three of this series called The Glory of Christmas, and it's been interesting working through the book of Isaiah a little bit, the prophecies about Jesus, and then tying that into New Testament fulfillment of those prophecies. I've heard from a few of you that have said that it's been enjoyable. I hope that's true maybe challenging, and hopefully um, connecting more of what we know about Jesus Christ to the first testament of God's word, that it's a continuation of God's people. And so hopefully you're having that same experience. (laughs) The goal of the series is, as we look toward Christmas, that we would have a, a heavier, a more glorious understanding of Jesus the Christ, I'm going to throw out the definitions early this week. If you've been here a Villa two weeks, you know what these are already. But the first word we want to know what it means is glory. It's doxa in the Greek, and it means honor or weight. The second word we know is Christ, Christos in the New Testament. And it means the anointed one or the Messiah, the unique person of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, Christmas, which we know mass means to be sent out or to go forth or You may depart because the prayer is sent, right? We talked about that. And then lastly, as we talked about in our our saying, I guess, in our songs today, that it's the time of Advent, which is a season of waiting, waiting for an important arrival, the coming Christ. And that is to say, waiting for his first Advent here, baby Jesus, but then waiting for his return as conquering king to take his people, to be with him forever. And so we, we think both those things are true. In the season of Advent, I wonder um, as as we think about this today, we're going to talk about the hope of nations, and I wonder as we watch the things happening in our culture and in um, um, our our nation itself, but also in the world, where where that hope truly lies. It seems that many of us have hope in a lot of things, right? Um, I I, um, I hope that my throat would be better by now, and it's not. <laughs> you know, I hope that I could nurse it. I hope that my car started this morning to get here, and it did. That was good. Um, I hope that my neighbors are going to be nice, and they kind of are. I, I hope I hope that things go well for my friends and family. Sometimes they do. Um, I, I hope things for our our people, um, our citizens of Highland, the citizens of Illinois, the citizens of the United States. And then we go all the way out to the, the citizens of the world, right? We hope things for the place we live. And yet it, it seems that often we behave differently than what we, hope, we ought to hope for. And so um, with thinking of that, um, uh, I want to get into God's word. And so we're going we're to jump in this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. So the last thing we talked about last week was 8.22. This is what the word says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the the way of the sea along the Jordan. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I wanna remind us a few things. We started that first week talking about King Ahaz and how he's worried about some small things. And God said, Ask me for a sign, and, and, and I'm, I'm, you're not going to suffer those small things. And he wouldn't, but he said there's something big coming. And since Ahaz wouldn't ask God for a sign, God says, I'm going to give you a sign, and that is the virgin and the child. We talked about that, that there's a big thing coming. That big thing at their time was called Assyria. Assyria was coming to attack the people of God. And then, and then last week we talked about um, that we ought not be chasing after conspiracies, but we ought to fear God as holy. And you talked about the uh, stumbling block or the falling rock, right? Like you're going to trip over Jesus or he's going to crush you, but you're going to deal with Jesus one way or the other. And we ought not to concern ourselves with things of the world. I mention that because the very last thing we read last week was in 822, and I want to read it now or tell you about it as well. It says this, At that time, they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fear and gloom, fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And I felt kind of bad last week ending there with Isaiah because it's a dark place, like literally, right? It says, they're going to seek all the earth to solve their problems. This is God's people. And they're going to only see darkness. What's the word say? Fear fearful gloom, and then be thrust or pushed or thrown into total darkness. And I wondered, who's going to help? Who's going to help? You see in verse 2, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and that is true. So we want to get to there. What is God doing with the people of Israel as they're walking in this darkness And what is he doing in our lives as we may have a tendency to walk in darkness ourselves? First word in the first verse of chapter 9 says, nevertheless. That means instead of all that stuff, no matter what is happening in our lives, instead of that, God is going to do something in spite of that situation or that circumstance what does the word say? There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. So I want to talk about this. Nevertheless, those who are living in gloom or in darkness or in covering, um, Will no longer do so. It says they will no longer there will be no longer gloom or covering for those who are in distress. And I want to talk to you just for a minute about what distress means in the Hebrew. It's a narrowing or a constriction. It's people who run out of options. They 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 see darkness, but they're compressed into a small space. That's what distress looks like, right? I, I, I have nowhere else to go. And so the word the word says for the people like that. Uh, they will. What's the word say? They will no longer have gloom or covering or darkness in their distress. Now, the words get something interesting here. We talked to you. I uh, talked to you in week one about how um, when the prophet prophesied, Isaiah the prophet prophesied about uh, Jesus and Mary. Um, he was speaking of the future as if it were the past. Right? Um, the the the, um, the the virgin will conceive and she has give birth, right? So like, it's it's something happening with time. Verse 2 is interesting, or verse 1 I should say, because it says in the past he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And I thought, now I wonder what happened in Israel's past where God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Why is that in there? Right? And so I started digging into this, and I didn't know this, but I found out that Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the 12 tribes of Israel. That is, they were sons of Jacob. They were people born into Jacob, born into Israel, who then became tribal peoples of their own right. And this is two of his 12 children. You'll remember the 12, story of the 12 children. More than that, though, um, Zebulun was actually Jacob's son of Leah, and uh, Zebulun means honor right? Um, Zebulun means honor. And then uh, Naphtali was Jacob's son of Rachel, and and Naphtali means wrestling. So it's this idea of the the honored people and the wrestling people are are going to be, what's the word say, Um, humbled in the land. So these people will be, the people of God will be put upon in the land so that's the past that the prophet's talking about, right? And there's this whole side thing here, by the way, about Leah and Rachel kind of fighting about who gets to have Jacob or um, Israel's children. Um, but we won't cover that today, but that's interesting. So it's different peoples from different brides, if you will, who are going to be humbled. That's the past. Now watch this. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. And this word says, my translation, by the way of the sea of, along the Jordan, another the translation would say beyond the Jordan, right? Okay, that's interesting. So God's people can be humbled here. By the way, it's worth noting that Zebulun was a community that lived by the sea. So that was a place where that had happened. And then now in the future, God is going to honor Galilee, what's the word say? Of the Gentiles. See, not the Jewish people, of the foreigners. That, that God's going to honor Galilee of the nations, the other people. So we have this prophecy in the Old Testament that will happen in the future. Um, by the way, and I thought it's interesting, I thought, what's the way of the sea? And the way, the word in the um, Hebrew is Derek. And it means the path that the water flows to where it's going. It's like it's God's design for how things are going to go. And you might think, well, why wouldn't the people of God have a straight path to where he has them to go? But it's like, I'm going to humble my people and then I'm going to um, honor the land by the way of my path of the sea. Wait, beyond the Jordan, over there. Um, humbled, here I was like, what does that mean? Humbling the people of God. So you got a past action and a future action. Humbled means uh, slight or trifling. It means to make light. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about the glory of God. God's like, I've got my people in the promised land. I'm going to humble them. I'm going to make them light. They're not going to amount to much. They're not going to weigh a lot. But then in the future, what's the other word there? And you can probably get ahead of me on this. When he says honored, it means to be heavy or burdensome. It's going to really matter in the future, the land. As I was researching this, and I'm like, well, now wait a minute. Did this happen or is this to happen? The prophecy here is about what's going to happen. Listen what I found. It says this. The Syrians and Assyrians first ravaged the the countries here mentioned. And that reason, or sorry, and that region was then also the first that was favored by the preaching of Christ. That is to say that the very same ground that God made like, made humbled, right, um, he also chose to be the sacred soil upon which Christ would first be preached. Not exactly. Upon the land where um, Christ would first preach. That's what the word says. Now, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but that's important, that there's this land happening. There's this thing that God's doing, and it's all by God's design. It's no accident that, that as he's prophesied, the enemy is going to come. You have a big problem. I'm going to save you from it, but I'm going to honor that land by the preaching of Christ there. We'll, we'll, we'll see that later. So, so this prophecy is rooted in Israel and Jacob. It's it's a prophecy to Jacob and Israel is speaking to or yeah, um, Isaiah is speaking to Israel here, but it's a promise that is for the nations. It is it is um, prophesied to the people of God for the world. That's how you can read that. Okay, so it's not localized in its effect. It's global in its effect, but it's localized in its proclamation. This is what God's going to do and this is what God will do in the future. One thing to keep in mind here, by the way, I said this is like a time thing, is that although this is true, the Syrians do ravage the land, he's speaking of a time that is to come. They will be humbled, and then he will honor them. So that's interesting to me. Let's go on. Two now, where we talked about from 22, the people, walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Some of your translations might say, in those land, living in a land of darkness. I found one like that, but it actually, and I was like, in the New Testament, it's not gonna say that, but it actually means the shadow of death. So two things we see here. The first is that there are people who are walking in darkness, and then suddenly they see a bright light, right? Um, this, this is um, like a light being thrown in a room all of a sudden, you know, your eyes aren't ready for it. You're like, oh, it's, it's like that, you know. But the second says this, those who are dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, right? I would think it would say a light has risen. So if you've ever seen like a sunrise come up, it's beautiful and it's gradual. And uh, But it could also mean that this light has shone upon them, right? So it's not so like seeing a bright light, but it's light that's, that's warming them. I was uh, thinking about this this week because um, I don't know why this happened, I can't remember the context of it, but Chris was in the bathroom and it was totally dark and I flipped the light switch on and off. I did it the first time accidentally and she goes, whoa, what was that? And then I did it about five more times because I thought it was funny. And she's like, stop it, I'm gonna fall because she was being dazzled by the light. I don't know why, I can't remember what happened. And I I thought that was funny, and then I thought that wasn't kind, and I thought she's gonna be mad at me for this. Um, And then I thought, worth it, (laughs) Um, it's true. Um, But that's like a real, you know, you can't get your bearings, what's going on when that dazzling light appears. The second though, I was thinking about my household again, is a real gradual thing that gets louder, that shines on you until you, you just can't deny it anymore. And um, my daughter, who's not able to be here today, she has this alarm clock that starts really quiet. And it, it gets a little louder and a little louder and a little louder. It takes a long time, and it gets louder, and then it's getting louder, and I'm on the other side of the house, and it's louder, and I'm like, "So this, you got to hear the alarm." And she doesn't, it and it's louder, and then I'm like, do you turn it?" And then I go to the other side of the house, and she's not even in her bedroom. It's just going off for no reason. You might have one of those. Just yeah, <laughs> how annoying is that? Well, that's like that sunrise shining, you know. It comes to a point I can ignore it for a while, but then suddenly I, I can't ignore it anymore. I was talking to someone about the grace of God this week, and I said, you know, it's funny, but it's almost foolish to deny the grace of God because it's the water that we swim in. We're like fish in an aquarium. We just don't even know it, that we live in his grace and in his light, and he's shining upon us. And I, I don't wanna say that to you because you might say, well, he ain't shining on me because I look at my life and it's all darkness, let me tell you. He shines on your light, on your life, his light's on your life. You just don't see it because we swim in it and we breathe it. And for those of us living in the shadow of death, and that literally means the, the, like you're under the cloud of death. Again, talking to some friends this week, the biggest problem we have to deal with in our life is our death, our own fatality. I think, honestly, church, in many ways, all the things we talk about with Jesus and all the things that we do serving others and everything else is, and, and seeing God work our lives and trusting Jesus and walking with Jesus is so that when we are there, and we sing songs about that, right, that when we are there at that moment, we trust Jesus with the end of our life. Someone this week said to me, just think last night, like if, if, um, you ha- if, if death is the end of our life, then you better have all the fun you can now because it's over, it's over. But if death is the beginning of eternity with Jesus, you got time for all kinds of stuff. And you can be content in your life right now. You can have peace in your life right now. That was a real conversation Yesterday. I say praise God to a view of eternity and not the view of the temporary. On the people living, dwelling in this land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned is what the word says. That's why they'll longer be stuck in the constraints, the distress of life. Verse three, you enlarge the nation, you increase their joy, Right? They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and as men rejoice while dividing the plunder. That's interesting. A couple of things. First, is that God is growing his kingdom in his prophecy fulfillment. Enlarge enlarge the nation, the people of God, growing his people. But then not only is God growing his people, right, Um, but he's increasing their joy or increasing our joy and what he is doing for us. This is the blessing of God. And then he gives two examples here. It says, so the people rejoiced, right? They rejoice, the word says, before you. Um, I love this. I always can't help but think of Mike on this deal, but he's like, I love my joy. And I think about rejoicing is like your joy again, your joy again, rejoicing in your life. But here's two Biblical examples of what it looks like to rejoice. The first is uh, about um, harvesting. A people rejoice as men, or I'm sorry, they rejoice before you as people rejoiced at the harvest time. Now what is that? A harvest time. I want to be very practical. We just watched all the corn and the beans get taken out of the fields, right? That's a good time of the year for farmers. (laughs) Do you know why? Because they're preparing to plant their fields and their crops were done. The planting of the crops were done. The caring and nurturing and spraying and all the things they have to do to maintain and the concern about too much rain, not enough rain, irrigation, and all those things is done. And at the end, they have harvested produce. The the plants have produced something of value and the word says that in that season, the people rejoice. Isn't that interesting? They rejoice. And the second one is similar, but, tol- but kind of totally different. They rejoice as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Again, it says men rejoice, and that's fair. That's what the, Greek say, or the Hebrew says, men rejoice. But those who are fighting in the battle. So you have the same idea there where this isn't. Um, before the battle is planned. That's been done. This isn't when the battle first starts. They're just getting started with the fighting. No. This is in, while they fought, but this is when the battle is over, when it's all done, when the victory is won or the swords are laid down. And it says, and you would assume one because it says, as they divide the plunder. That's a victor's thing. That's what rejoicing looks like. We don't have to plan. We don't have to fight. We don't have to hold our swords. We can lay them down, and we can celebrate all that we've gained. Now, for some of us, that might not be very good imagery, right, badly. Most of us be comfortable with um, the idea of, of harvesting, but, but a, fa- a fight, a battle of war. Interestingly enough, both these things have a cycle of death in them. You rejoice at the harvest. What do you plant? A seed. If a seed doesn't fall to the ground, if it doesn't die, it won't grow again. That's what happens in a harvest As you grow a seed from last year's crop. You keep some of the produce and you put it back in the ground. And then with people, we don't come back like that, but you, there is death involved. There's loss of life and there's celebration when the weapons are finally laid down. I wonder, as we think of Christmas, Do we see it as a time of rejoicing, like harvest or like peace when war is over? Do we see Christmas as God's promises being fulfilled, hear me now, in God's own power? Okay. Look at verse four with me. Now we're getting some little history here. For as in the day of Midian's defeat... You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. So there's three things that God says he's going to do. But he says he's going to do it like this. As in the day of Midian's defeat. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm like, well, who's Midian? And what's his day look like? Well, Midian was an army who was coming against Israel. Some of you know this. Just, just humor me. And they were, coming, they were, they were outgunned. Israel was outgunned by Midianite army, and uh, there's some more history there. I won't get into it where they came from, but it's going to be a bad day on the battlefield. And so God's big plan for Gideon, uh, you may have heard this guy, um, Gideon, and the army is he's like, send a bunch of people home until you only have 300 people to fight. So you know the story. They send all these people home, and there's only 300 people. Now they got a small army. And then I had to write this down because I couldn't actually believe it, but then he says, okay, this is what you're going to have for weapons. You're going to have a torch, you're going to have a pot, and you're going to have a trumpet. That's what he gave him to the fight with. <laughs> not a sword, not a, another kind of weapon. A torch, what does the word say? A torch, um, a, uh, a pot, and a trumpet. I'm not going to get a whole story. You can read it in Judges 6 and 7. But basically, he says, surround the camp right? 300 people. Now you're not even together anymore. You're like all around. The enemy's in the middle. There's way more of them than you. And he's like, on my command, you're going to throw the pot on the ground. You're going to hold the torch. You're going to blow the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's a terrible plan with an army. But if you know the story, in that moment, the enemy of God, completely bewildered, begin to kill each other. And Gideon wins because they're obedient with these foolish tools. That's not the way you plan a battle. That's the way God fights. He says this. I'm gonna shatter, like in the day of Midian's defeat, three things, the yoke. I I translate that myself as slavery, as bondage. I'm stunned by today how many people still live in bondage. You might hear about things like modern day sex trafficking as an example, or, or, or slavery overtly, but I'm talking about real ways that we aren't free. As God's people, we're not free. And we, we take it easy enough. He says, I'm gonna break that yoke that's resting on your neck. I'm gonna break the bar that binds, right? It's that, that's the place where we bear burdens. Like in the day of Gideon's, Midian's defeat. And then thirdly, I'm gonna, what's the word say? Shatter the rod of their oppressor, of the people who are oppressing my people, whomever they are. And by the way, I said people, but look at the word, of their singular oppressor, that God will do in our enemy in that day. Well, that's the prophecy, sounds like good news, So in this way, God's going to shatter those three things. Look at the result now. Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle. Translation can be sandal as well. And every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Wow. See, now wait. If you're not comfortable with war imagery, here's peace, the end of war, when slavery is eradicated, when the oppressor's rod is shattered, when we don't carry it anymore, the sandals that are used in battle, look, like they're used, settled. They're new sandals. And I want to point this out. I'm like, what does it mean rolled in blood? You take garments and then you roll them. It means you've been wallowing in it. You've been wallowing in the burden and the fight. I want to say something really practical for a moment, this cultural moment we see ourselves in, I find far too many people eager for war. Listen, I'm not saying there's not things that you gotta, I get it, it's complicated, but we are far too eager to take life to try to make things right, even to the point of threatening one another, and I I am overwhelmed with the tragedy that we see regularly, where people are killing for foolishness. Why would I say that in church? because we ought to be a people of peace. Again, that's not some big statement of what you can't defend yourself in this and that, but I'm saying our predilection should not be toward bloodshed and war. The word says, every warrior's boot that's been used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and fuel for the fire. You know, um, the people who I find most passionate about that idea those who have to fight on our behalf. I've talked to soldiers who say, can you just pray for peace? I don't want to fight anymore. It's a young man's game, and it gets old quickly. Destined for burning, fuel for the fire. How will this peace come about? This is the verse we know. 6 For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is, and here's Dale's word, given. And the government will be on his shoulders. I want to stop there. So here's the promise. This is where we we often think of this when we think of Jesus coming to earth. A child is born, a son is given. Given to whom? Given to us. Given to earth. Given to God's people, given to all people, this son is. And the government, which means the authority, the kingdom, or the dominion, the rule, will be on his shoulders. I don't have time to unpack that fully. I've been thinking a lot about that, what it means um, to, to... To have a politics of Jesus above everything. To believe that Jesus is the Lord of all things, everything, all the time. But that's what the word says. The government, the ruling, will be on his shoulders. We have that there. Then he's given some names. He will be called. Four names. Wonderful Counselor. That's someone who gives advice, wonderful advice, beautiful advice giver, one who knows our circumstances and can speak into them in deep and meaningful ways, one that we ought to be listening to in our life. And let me tell you this, and Dale shared that from John three eighteen. and if we don't accept Jesus, we reject him already. We're rejecting his good counsel, his good wisdom for our life. First, a wonderful counselor that we have. Individually and as a people, together. Second name, mighty God. That's the one who is able, you know, the big God. I'm not saying big God amongst God. I'm saying God almighty, right? All powerful. The one who can affect change. Remember we started looking around the earth, what can we do finding darkness? No, there's one who can change things, and it's God Almighty. Third name, Everlasting Father, Enduring One, the Father who always will be, who always is, Eternal, Unchanging Father. I've often um, thought of this when people talk about our families of origin, and we say, hey, you don't know I have bad parents. I'm like, I know, but you got a good father, right? I have a great father. We all do. Eternal father, enduring father. What a beautiful word. And then fourth, and of course, the prince of peace. The prince of peace, and that's the ruler over shalom, That's the Hebrew word for peace, right? The one who rules, shalom. That will be his name. So four names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. A couple more promises here, and then we're going to move. Of the increase of his rule, government, authority, and peace, his shalom, there will be no end. He will rule from this time onwards. He will rule, and he will bring peace. He will reign on David's throne. Now here's a callback, a tie back to remember to King Ahaz, who was on David's throne. Like he will rule, he will reign on David's throne and over his, who, David's, God's kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. How many of our fights are about that these days? Justice and righteousness. Fighting for the Lord. Are, are we? Or is he fighting for us? Justice and righteousness. And that, from that time on and forevermore. Unless you say, fair enough, well, what? should we fight for it? Look at the last line of the prophecy. The zeal, that's the passion, right? <laughs> the, the, uh, the fervor of Yahweh. Almighty of of hosts, the one who commands angel armies, will accomplish this. That's how it's going to get done for the people of God, that God will do a work that only God can do, that only God can do. Shall we long for these promises? Shall we live toward these promises? Yes. Who will accomplish it? God will accomplish accomplish it among us for his glory. A bright light has dawned. I want to share with you, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but many times we're thinking about Christmas, we're thinking about a particular bright light, and so I want to read a little bit from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to skip down. We know that story with Herod, but i want to skip down to verse 9. After these wise men had heard the king, King Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them, a guiding light, until it stopped over the place where the child was, the newborn baby, mother and child, Right? Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned and dreamed not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another way. Two things I want you to see in this. First of all, the foreigners saw the light of Christ, right? And secondly, when they saw him, they worshiped him and they were were generous. They said, here's the stuff, you know? This is the right response to the realization of who Jesus is. But as much as we think of that being the story, and it is a story, it's called Epiphany, right? The story of Christ's revelation to the Magi from the East, the wise men, the magicians, if you will, I want to actually read to you Jesus' own words from Matthew chapter 4. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John, John the Baptist, had been put into prison, he returned to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun. And Naphtali, those names should sound familiar, to fulfill what is said to the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, to proclaim Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's actually where the prophecy is fulfilled. I had a tendency, maybe you're not like that, but I thought, oh, it's going to be the epiphanal light. You know, the you saw the light and the people came to Jesus. No, this is, Jesus has matured in his life. This is not baby Jesus, this is man Jesus. A couple things I want you to be aware of that are interesting to me and we're going to talk about this passage for a second. The first is that, Up until this point, Jesus had always been in Nazareth. That's why he's called Jesus Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth, because that's where he was raised. He was born and raised in Nazareth. Many of you know that, okay? There was a brief exodus into Egypt because of Herod. And then after a while in Egypt, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus back to Nazareth. But when John was put into prison... Right, the one who said, make straight the way of the Lord, make straight the paths, when he was put into prison, um, Jesus moves. And he moves to a place called Capernaum, which was by the lake in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. And 14 tells us exactly this, the Gospel of Matthew. Author says, he did it to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, that this is the moment that the nations have seen a great light. What I love about this moment is this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. All the stories that we love about Jesus. This week someone asked me, how did you come to faith? Or last week they asked me, how did you come to faith? And I said, when I read the stories of how Jesus lived, it completely blew my mind. It was not what I had always said it was until I read it for myself, the way he walked amongst the people I read the Gospel of Mark first. You know the story. But get this, that this happens before that. This is the call that Jesus responds to the moment of history. I almost said the pregnant moment, which would be appropriate, of history that the new light had dawned. He did it to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. The way to the sea, right? Wandering along the Jordan or across the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who've been living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death. On those, upon those, a light has dawned. And then Jesus' first gospel proclamation. You can read it. I would encourage you to read it. You go look around there and see what's going on in Jesus' life. This is the first time that he says anything in the Gospel of Matthew, and he says, repent. Oh, I love this so much. For the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what I love. Jesus began to preach. He started to proclaim. The kingdom Come now this is the moment and somehow and i don't fully understand this but with john going to prison was the signal it's time to go it's time to fight this is the war this is the peacemaking this is the moment and Jesus himself began to preach. Why well, do I don't want to say that? Because I love this idea that the, the lamb will be made light in the day that the enemies are taking over the people of God, but heavy in the moment that the Christ will start to proclaim the truth. That he's going to solve this problem. Long after Syria, long after the enemy has conquered, Jesus says, I will do it. Here's the command, though. Turn. Stop it. I told you before, I want to say it again so we're clear about what repentance is. It means to turn completely around. You're going this way and you go this way. You turn back toward God. People say, I can't see it. I don't think it's there. There's nothing happening. I say, turn back toward God. Repent. I don't say it. Jesus says it. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near not might even say the kingdom of heaven is here. Christ, the anointed one, he calls us as sinners to repent, to stop it. The beginning of his ministry, he does many great works, many great teachings, but here's the beginning. Turn, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I've asked you this every week. I want to ask you again today. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this one, this Jesus, is the fulfillment of those prophecies, that he's the one that God had promised to bring peace, rest from battle, a harvest for the farmer? He's the one who will bring it. Here's a testimony again from 1 Timothy. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was proclaimed among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. That is the testimony of Jesus Christ whom we celebrate. Do you believe? Jesus preached repentance. are willing to repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Do you believe it? Do you believe we are like the fish in the water or the human in the light? Do you trust Jesus in your life? Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for your revelation to us, your great and beautiful presence, your shocking, disorienting appearance, and also your slow, steady call that gets louder and louder and we would pay attention to you. Help us Father God to do that thing called repentance. And know Father that even hearing your voice in this moment is a gift from you and that in that moment we would turn to you be obedient in the moment to repent. Father if there's things if, first of all if we need to turn towards you we would do that. We would stop being obstinate and um, you know, pig headed and heading our own way and we would turn to you acknowledging that you are God and we are not, and that you have a plan of fulfillment for us that we can only imagine. Help us, Father, to turn to you. And then, Lord, if there's areas of our life we need to repent, we would repent, turn back toward you. May we stop believing the lie that the world has something better to offer us, that this dark, fearful place has something better to offer us than the one true God who made us, who knows us, who speaks to us. Father God, uh, as we trust you uh, to be a uh, mighty God, a wonderful counselor, uh, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, that you would be everything to us, that we would return. Help us to do it by your Holy Spirit's power, and we, we, we ask you to do it in the name, above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Do this work. We ask it in his name. Amen.